Well, good morning. It's good to have the children in here with us. They'll be with us for the whole month of July. And let me start off by saying it's been a great week. Thank you so much as a church family for your support um, with our buying our cookies and brownies and uh, some of you cook for us and clean for us. And uh, we really couldn't have done it without you. It's been amazing. We are worn out, but in a good way. So uh, thank you again. When Pastor Gerald asked me two weeks ago if I could preach this Sunday, uh, <laughs> I first thought that might be a little bit too much. Uh, but after I read this passage and saw how well it lined up with our week, I thought, why not? So I have been with the students for about 100 hours this week and sleeping on the floor of my office. So uh, it's kind of like I'm running a startup. So I said, um, <laughs> so forgive me if I'm a little foggy. I'm going to do the best I can. Um, but I am, I am happy to be here with you guys this morning. So let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would break the shackles off of our feet this morning so that we might run the race of faith. Lord, no one needs to hear from me, but we all need to hear from you, Lord. So please speak. Please speak, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we can pray these things. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message over the last two weeks, I came across this quote by a pastor named Matt Chandler. He wrote, a discontented heart is the foundational element to faith. A discontented heart is the foundational element to faith. And what he's saying is that faith is birthed out of a holy discontentment. And I think that's a really profound insight, that faith begins in our lives with a holy discontentment. And some of you here this morning might be feeling that discontentment. You feel the reality of the claims of Christ, and that's in tension with the reality of the sacrifice that you would have to make to follow him, and it's bothering you. And that's a really good thing. That's a really good place to be. It's better than it's not bothering you. The tension there is where faith can blossom. So maybe for a student, you feel a discontentment with the self-centered life of entertainment and pleasure and seeking the approval of others, and you're starting to wonder, is this it? Is this all I do? Or for an adult, maybe you began to feel the discontentment of the endless race of ladder climbing and wealth building and status seeking. And you're wondering, is there a purpose here? Is there anything a little more meaningful than that? You're feeling a holy discontentment. You're feeling the stirrings of faith. And I think that's what Abraham felt. I think that's what Abraham felt. And I think that means that God might be working amongst us and in your life. But before we get to Abraham, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what is faith? What is faith? And in the English language, it has all kinds of definitions and all kinds of uses. So, for example, you know, you have faith the Cubs might win. You have faith in your lottery ticket. You have faith in, you know, it's not going to rain. It's just kind of this abstract hope idea oftentimes. But what does it mean, especially here in the book of Hebrews? What's the definition here? And I'll give you a very short one. Faith moves. Faith moves. So, in the book of Hebrews, true saving faith, it produces a response. 
It produces actions in our lives. That's what the writer James is getting at in James chapter 2. He says, in other words, faith without movement, without a response, is a dead faith. So saving faith moves. First, it moves in the heart. So it brings conviction, repentance, a love for Christ, a willingness to follow him. And then it starts moving in the world. It shows itself in a desire to live differently, to act differently. And the faith that is merely a mental assent, I believe these things are true, Christ died, he was raised, there's a heaven, there's a hell. Faith that just believes those things without any response is not biblical faith. It's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. As James chapter 2 verse 19 puts it, it says, even the demons have that kind of faith. A dead faith is a faith that causes nothing to happen. It's just a mere acknowledgement of some Christian truths and then on to the next thing that you actually care about. And that's not faith in Hebrews. Another word for dead faith is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, meaning dead faith is when you can learn the lingo of Western Christianity and you know the right things to say and you know the right gesticulations and church goings and whatever else but your faith ends as soon as the words quit echoing off the wall. And it's possible to be in church your entire life and yet never have had a living faith. Merely words. You learn to say, be warm and filled, as James puts it, or I'll be praying for that, but you don't. Or saying you're going to change, but you never change. Singing all the songs, but not meaning a word of it. That's not the faith of the book of Hebrews. A spirit-wrought faith, saving faith, justifying faith, is a faith that moves. So that's the first element of faith as we, as we walk into this passage. Secondly, faith clothes the invisible. Faith clothes the invisible. One commentator I read put it like this. Faith gives to the objects of hope the force of a present reality. And then it demonstrates the existence of that which we cannot see. So there's two things he's saying. First, faith brings God's promises into the present, into the right now. That's the posture of faith. That's the stance of faith. And then, secondly, it proves the existence of the unseen, which we would call the power of faith. So faith is taking hold of a promise of God, bringing it into the presence, into our present reality, and then when you act on it, you see that God is faithful. So here's two examples of this. So perhaps you step out in faith, and you obey God in ending a uh, romantic relationship that you, you know God is not pleased with. And you've been feeling it in your heart for a long time, but it's a very difficult thing to do. But you decide to move in faith and repent and do what God wants you to do. And then, in your sadness, in the pain, in the heartache, God is there. And you find his promises true. You find an intimacy with God and a passion for his kingdom that he shows up in your life when you move in faith. Or another example. You began giving away a portion of your income to the cause of Christ in the world, knowing that God says that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the other things he will provide for you. 
He will give you what you need. And so you step out in faith, and you find that God shows up, and he provides. And in the meantime, you have a new connection and intimacy with God and seeing how he can provide for you. For many of us, we might believe Christianity is true. You might be positive that it's true, but you still find yourself shrinking back. And, whole, and saving faith, justifying faith, is leaning in and trusting that Christ will hold you. One of the Hebrew words for faith is aman, that means firm or secure, something that will bear the weight of you. And so that's another picture of faith. You lean into Christ to find out if he can sustain, if he can hold. Faith is leaning on God and seeing how he responds. That's what faith is. If you want to go parachuting, you don't go find the guy who's read all the parachute uh, creation manuals and books. You find the guy who's jumped out of the plane, and you ask him about it, right? And you can read tons and tons of instructional manuals about how to build a parachute and commentaries on parachutes and different languages and all those kinds of things. But until you jump out of a plane, you don't know much about parachuting. You don't know much about skydiving. And that's what faith is like. Until we start leaning in, until we start obeying God, we don't have much knowledge. We don't have much things to offer. So that's why the story of Abraham is so helpful to us. That in him we see what faith is and what faith can accomplish. So we're going to briefly this morning walk through the story of Abraham presented to us in chapter 11 of Hebrews and point out just a couple of things about the kind of faith that he had. So let's look and see what his faith looked like. So firstly, firstly, what did Abraham and Sarah leave behind? You see this in verses 8 and 9. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So in, if you go back to Genesis 12, it says Abraham left country, he left kindred, and he left his father's house to step out in faith. So he really, he left a comfortable life in Haran to go to Canaan. He left his home, he left his family, and he went and did what God was telling him to do. And this would have looked crazy to his neighbors. They would have been like, Abraham, I see you're, you're packing up, where are you going? He would have said, I'm going to Canaan. They would have said, why are you doing that, Abraham? He said, Yahweh told me to. And then they would have said, how are you going to get there? He would have said, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm just going to start. And that's the posture of faith, that delayed obedience is disobedience, and the willingness to follow God is exactly what he wants from us. So, what did Abraham and Sarah leave? They left a life of comfort and ease in Haran. They left their home, and they did what God told them to do. Secondly, what did Abraham and Sarah know? What did they know? And if you look back in verse 10, it says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundation, who, foundations whose designer and builder is God. And I think fundamentally... What they knew was just, they just knew the promises of God. That's all they knew. They knew that God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation and give you a land. That's all they knew. And that was enough. But as they went, they learned more and more about 
about God. And that's true for us as well, that you will stay ignorant of God until you move in faith. You can read lots of books and come to lots of church time and hear a lot of sermons, but until you step out in faith, that is where the knowledge of God comes from. And that's when Abraham started learning. So all he had, just like us, he had God's word and he had what God wanted him to do. And in between was this huge chasm of ignorance. And Abraham trusted God and stepped out. Thirdly, what did Abraham and Sarah receive? Look at verse 13. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And at first glance, this might be a little confusing because you think, well, Abraham and Sarah received Isaac. That was the child of the promise, right? And they made it to the promised land. But if you go back, God said, hey, I'm going to give you, a, a, I'm going to give you the whole world and I'm going to give you this nation. I'm going to make your descendants like the grains of sand on the seashore. And then Abraham, at the end of his life, is in a tent with one child of the promise, Isaac. So in that sense, they died Abraham and Sarah, without receiving the things promised. They only got a taste. They only got a glimpse. And that's how it is for us in a lot of ways, too. That we have moments, we have glimpses of the kingdom of God. And along the path of obedience, we, uh, we get a foretaste all the time. We get a foretaste with our group of, what is it like to worship with every tribe, tongue, and nation? We just had a week of that. You know, what is it like to have real Christian music? Those, those moments of joy with one another. We get those, but then in between, there's just huge time periods of faithful obedience on the path. And finally, what kept Abraham on the path of faith? Verse 15 says, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. So what kept Abraham on his walk of faith? I think the fundamental answer is joy. I think when, as he followed God, he found an intimacy with God and a joy in God that kept him going. And I think one of the deepest lies that teenagers face, and in some ways that we all face, is this. If I trust God in faith, I will miss out. If I trust God in faith, I'm going to miss out on life. But hear this. There's joy on the path of obedience, and there's really no joy here otherwise. The pleasures of this world fade and become stale, but the joy of following Christ. You will not miss out if you follow Christ. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He writes, God gives joy as signpost on the journey, but we don't stop and stare because we would be at Jerusalem. So God, on our journey, gives glimpses of joy, moments of joy, like breadcrumbs leading to the feast, to the banquet. And when we step out in faith, we find them along the way. Or here's one more quote. It says, Have you tasted joy? You won't find much of it in the city of man. But 
Follow the signs to the heavenly city, and you will find the author of joy himself. So imagine with me for a minute what would it be like to meet Abraham near the end of his life, old and gray and bent over, and you say, hey, Abraham, will you tell me your testimony? I think this is my rendition of what he might say. I think he would say, well, I set out on my journey of faith, unsure of where God was leading me, but I knew I had to follow him, even though it seemed crazy to the people around me. I left Haran. I left my friends, I left my stability, I left my family, I left my home, and I lived the life of an immigrant sojourner, an exile in a foreign land. Leaving felt like a kind of death, yet in that death I found an abundant life. I stumbled and failed many times along the way, and I regret my sins, yet the Lord was so merciful to me. He marked me as one of his own through the sign of the covenant that he gave me. And he was with me through the years of my sojourning. And even though I'll most likely die in this tent, I can see by faith on the horizon a city that God will build here. And I believe that through that city, God will bring salvation to the earth. And then you would ask Abraham, hey, Was it worth it? And what do you guys think he would say? I think with joy in his eyes, he would say, absolutely, it was worth it. So where are you this morning? Is there a holy discontentment in your heart? Perhaps for some of you, you're feeling that. You're feeling that wrestling. You know that you're not living in a way that God is pleased with. And the next step for you might be for the first time surrendering your life to Christ and throwing your weight upon him. And turning from the sins in your life that are keeping you from him. And you will find that he is ready and he is willing to save. Or maybe for some of you, you've begun the journey of faith, but the deep lie has hit you that if you keep trusting God, you're going to miss out. And you're tempted to turn back. You know, Abraham's father, Terah, was in the land of Ur, and he gets called to go to Canaan, but he stops in Haran. And that might feel like some of your story, that you got off to a start, but now you're stuck. Don't believe the lie. The joy that you are seeking is on the road of faith. There's no other source. And then maybe for some of us who are just tired, who are the faithful, tired saints out there, who have been walking the journey of faith and know what I'm talking about with moments of joy, but it's easy to get worn down and you have long weeks, Uh, Let me close with a verse that's kind of become a life verse to me as of late. So Hebrews 13, 14 says, "For For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That is to come. As we go through our lives, we start realizing, and I'm starting to realize this in my 30s, but... I know for many of you older than me, you know it better than I do, that this is not it. This is not the answer. You know, that this world is fading. Our bodies are fading. Anything we try to build rusts and decays and falls apart. And all we can ever manage are just moments of it, moments of the joy that God offers. But we have to stay the course to the heavenly city. And we are promised that we will find joy along the way. 
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Abraham, the example of faith that we could learn from him and that as he moved forward in faith throughout his life, you showed up in so many different ways in his story. You blessed him, you filled him, you gave him what you promised. We know that you're a faithful God, that you can do that for us as well as we are perhaps frightened or resistant to leave the things behind, the weights and sins that so easily entangle us, that we would look to Christ, who has run the race before us, and know that he has passed to the other side and he is calling us to him. I pray that you would stir saving faith in some of us today, Lord. And I pray for those of us who are continuing on the journey, that you would give us glimpses of joy on our way to a heavenly Jerusalem. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.